It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. It's 10 o'clock, Las Vegas. Welcome in. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. As we are here every Saturday and Sunday night, 10 p.m. to midnight. Tim Unglesby, the Mon Cotton with you in volcanic Las Vegas. The weather here is absolutely ridiculous. My co-host, of course, TomBartonSports.com, hashtag SGN. Tom Barton, Tommy, it is... Damn near unlivable right now in Las Vegas, man. One sixteen, I think it cracked today. Oh, I thought you meant because of the uh, Vegas Knights fans that are all freaking out right now. That's that's our two, my friend. That's our two. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it's uh, it's warm out here, man. And you know, I, I know we talk about it every year, and it's always a topic of conversation every summer. Look, nobody can get used to this. It is absolutely ridiculous. Nobody can ever say, eh, "It's not that bad." It's pretty bad, man. Tim, it's pretty funny because uh, my, my daughter Grace and I are working on numbers, you know, so she's she's three years old and uh, she's got the numbers perfectly fine, but she's got a hard time with like 88 instead of just 88, you know, uh, when we do the temperatures and we always look at the temperature in New York and then I go to my favorite places around the country. I go, oh, okay, let's go check out the, the temperature in Walt Disney World. Okay, what's the temperature in Key West? And then what's the temperature in Vegas? So we went to New York, and the temperature was like 83. And then we went to the temperature in Key West is like 88. Temperature in Disney is like 88, 89. And that temperature in Las Vegas, I didn't realize what it was going to be. She said, Daddy, that's just a big number. That's a lot of ones. And it was 111. <laughs> and I said, yeah, where is that? I said, that's Las Vegas. And she said, that's got that down. Now that's hot. Now we're looking at hot places. You know what I mean? And I said, yeah, it really is. When you start to think, you know, Disney is like 90. Disney World is like 90. And you guys are like 21 degrees hotter or 20 or, or plus degrees hotter. That's when reality starts to strike. If it literally feels like, I know Damon probably agrees, it literally feels like you opening an oven that's been set at 450 and, and has been baking for an hour. When you hit, get hit with that uh, that intense heat that comes right out of the oven, it is, it's, not, it's, it's not fun, Tom. And all these losers out here that go to pool parties and drink and act a fool guys are just idiots man it's, it's it's not even enjoyable to be outside and i don't care what anybody says man hey maybe you that's got, the old you age gotta own a pool. i mean don't you just have to own a pool at that point that's how i feel about florida you know we we've explored the possibility of moving to las vegas uh, before I, we had my son we explored the possibility of moving to florida and every single house that we look at I'm like abby you have to have a pool you just have to have a pool you can't live in las vegas without a pool no you're right and Guess what we're doing as soon as the summer's over? Getting a pool for the house, Tom. Yeah, I don't you almost have, have to. And I've, I've been putting it off for three years now, and I'm just like, look, <laughs> they're not going to get cheaper. And um, obviously, you can't do it in the summer because it takes you got to build it. So Plus, they're more expensive. So as soon as uh, the fall hits, pool time, Tom. Yeah, that's a good idea. The insurance goes up, but it's worth it. Right. Plus, they always say, um, I know this isn't a... <laughs> a real estate show, but they always say that oh, when you, pool doesn't add value to the home, uh, it does in, in terms of people want a pool, so they're going to buy your house before they buy someone somewhere else without a pool. It's Might not add, add value, but your listing will go quicker. <laughs> and that's our real estate news for today on the show. But hey, let's start in the NBA, Tom. Yeah, where's Feldman? <laughs> He's actually in Costa Rica right now, man. Is he really? Ah, oh, I'm jealous. Smart. <laughs> Game seven, we have one team from the East in overtime, Tom. The Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, 115-111 over the the dream team, the Brooklyn Nets. KD, 48, not enough. Uh, one-man show for this guy in the playoffs pretty much. And basically, not the team that was built come last September, right? It's, it's a team that never got really a chance to play with each other. And they're not going to win the title this year. No, and it's a good thing for the NBA. I've talked about it for years, uh, for uh, months. It, it would have set the NBA back.
back for years. And it, I love the fact that the Lakers, I love the fact that the Nets are out of the playoffs, Tim, because it says consistency matters. Playing with your teammates matters. The regular season matters. You know, the Lakers have still not won a legitimate championship. We're trying to buy, uh, you know, and stack their big two. The Nets could stack their big three. And you know what? The NBA gods, if you believe in that kind of thing, stepped in and said, no, you know what? We're not going to even let you have a big three here. But I, I think it is interesting. Before we go off on the Nets, which we will, I think we have to just say this, and then we'll go right back to the Nets. Let's give the Bucks a lot of credit. Not a lot of people thought that they'd have the, uh, let's use a wrestling term, intestinal fortitude, right? <laughs> to sit back and win a game seven on the road against that kind of competition. And if I told you that Kevin Durant would have 48 in that game, Tim, there's no way you would believe that that team would go out there and win. And especially tying the game the way that the Nets did. The Bucks had no chance. They were down in the game. They were down in overtime. And they just kept coming back. The the Nets took a 2-0 lead in this series, remember. Since then, and everybody wants to make fun of Giannis and his free-throw shooting, Shaq Jr., whatever the situation is. The guy, in the next five games, Tommy, averaged 34 points a game, like 14 rebounds, and he shot 63% from the field, man. So you want to look at a superstar. We, we, we were starting to, to criticize him a little bit. He, he, put it in, he put it in gear, and he... You know, I'm not going to say he outplayed Durant, but he did, right? I mean, so essentially, that's what happened. He outplayed him, and they won the series. Yeah, you know, that, that is such a great point. People going, you know, well, Durant was by himself out there. But you know what? So was Giannis, because that's how Giannis' team is. Now, Middleton's a good player. But Middleton at 100% is about James Harden at like 80%, right? I mean, it's the same kind of team, Tim. And Durant got a finally a feeling of what Giannis had to kind of go through. And, and at the end of the game, what made me kind of laugh is everybody's ripping on the Bucks, And they did. Look, Lopez had a stupid play at the end of regulation where he needed to pass the ball. Uh, the, the idea that the Bucks, uh, you know, they were doing silly things out there. It was a badly coached game. But Tim, why were the Nets not just fouling Giannis all day long at the end of the game. Two minutes to go. I don't care if I had the lead or didn't have the lead. Why are you not just fouling this guy and putting him on the line time after time after time after time? In overtime, then it gets to overtime. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're just going to foul him. Use the, use the guys off the bench. Use the 10, 11, 12 guy off the bench and just use your fouls. He can't hit foul shots. And I know he went 7 of 8 in, in a portion of this game. But overall, pressure's on. He's tired, dead tired. They're all dead tired. Can't lift your arms up. He's not making foul shots. Why didn't the Nets go with that theory and they just said, oh, you know what, we're going to go head-to-head with you guys? I thought it was a terrible decision. Yeah. um... (laughs) Look, there's a lot of things that we can criticize in these playoffs other than, you know, you can begin with just the league itself. But when you look at the Brooklyn, has Kevin Durant ever been by himself, though, Tom? Has he always had wingmen on his teams? You go back to Oklahoma City, right? Golden State, obviously. He's never had to be that guy, and, and uh, it's a completely different situation, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. When you got to do it on your own, and you know what? Sometimes it's not even good enough, like tonight. And it's very difficult to rip a guy that scores 48. But, Tim, we have to be consistent here. Because I know DeMond would call me out if I wasn't. Mm-hmm. we got to be consistent. If LeBron James scored 48, but he airballed the game winner with two seconds to go, or one second to go, uh, you know, I think we'd all be ripping apart LeBron, right? So, even though he scored 48, and even though, you know, he sat back and hit a clutch two-pointer that he thought was going to be the game-winning three, but he had a clutch two-pointer at the end of regulation, all of that. Tim, he threw up an air ball with an opportunity to tie the game late in the game. I get it when he was dead tired. I get it he scored 48 points. I get it he hit the dagger at the end of regulation, Tim. But don't we have to have the same treatment for him as we would for anybody else? Look, if Tom Brady went out there and threw 500 yards of offense, but the last play of the game when they were driving for a, a final drive, he threw an interception, we wouldn't care about the 500 total yards of offense and five touchdowns. We would talk about the interception, right? Look at Aaron Rodgers, a guy that I rip apart all the time. Aaron Rodgers had a great comeback against the Bucks in the playoffs, but because he couldn't convert 
on three plays in the last uh, drive that they had. That's all anybody talks about is Aaron, Aaron Rodgers' failures. This is a day where Kevin Durant put the team on his shoulders. He had a phenomenal game. But if we're going to treat Kevin Durant like the best in the game, and that's what a lot of people are calling him, right? The best in the game. Don't we have to mention the air ball? Yeah. You absolutely have to mention it because you just said it. If you're going to be in that ilk that you just described, right? We, we both know how we feel about LeBron, but you're right. He would be just absolutely killed for airballing a shot. Brady throws a pick on the final drive, absolutely killed, right? If you want to be up in the names of those best players ever, you got to eventually hit more of those shots than, than uh, when they count. And then, you know, nobody's going to be Jordan, right? Nobody's going to be Bird, but he could be LeBron. And he, he, he played like LeBron today, Tom. He, you know, he wasn't there when it counted. And this was a winnable game. This was a game where you could sit back and tell me that he had no help. And Harden was on one leg. And, and I'm going to tell you this. Guess what? This Nets team, they made the playoffs without Durant, right? That, I mean, they, did they not make the playoffs without Durant? Yeah, they made the playoffs without the big three. So what did they do from that point until the big three? Would they win an extra series, Tim? Extra, yeah, I mean, is that is that really the big three accomplishment? I'm not telling you that Kevin Durant isn't a great player top five player in the game right now. Uh, you could get into, well, he's the best player in basketball right now. Yeah, maybe he is. But he's gone. He's sitting at home. And Giannis just beat him. And Giannis has Middleton as his number two. You know, and Giannis sat back and advanced. So we could talk all we want about Kevin Durant. My timeline was nothing but Kevin Durant's best player on, your, on the planet. Kevin Durant killing it. Kevin Durant's the best. Kevin Durant. The... Where's the Giannis conversation? Where's the conversation that uh, the MVP of, what is it, two or last three years, I mean, the reigning MVP uh, going into last year, the, the guy that has elevated his game, yeah, he can't hit free throws, oh, he's got problems. Guess what? Giannis looked at Kevin Durant head-to-head tonight, and Giannis's team came out on top. And Giannis was a major part of that. I'm not taking anything away from Kevin Durant and the game that he put out because it was spectacular. And the series he put out, it was spectacular. But AKD, this is what it's like to play when you don't have immense talent standing as a number two. Yeah. he. We're not arguing that he didn't have a great series. He did. We're just arguing that you know, he had to play basically on his own. And Giannis got the best of him in the last five games. I mean, that's what it comes down to. They had a 2 nothing lead. No excuse to blow this area. What was it? Three, three, two, right? No excuses. No excuses in uh, Milwaukee, Tom. <laughs> our, our, our hopes of Milwaukee and Phoenix playing in the finals, it, it's getting a step closer. Oh, it is. Yeah. It, you know, this Milwaukee team, I've been on them for a couple of years now because I, I do like Giannis's game. And I keep thinking, I like teams that grow, Tim, obviously, uh, not teams that are thrown together. I like teams that you go, all right, the first year that, that they're there, oh, man, they stink. Then the second year, all right, you know what? They're about 500 team. The third year, hey, hey, they just made the playoffs. Fourth year, they win a playoff series. Fifth year, you know, I like that kind of growth. And that's Milwaukee to me. They have taken steps little by little by little. They've grown as a team. They have commitment to the team. And you can tell me that this guy was hurt and Kyrie was hurt and Harden was hurt and your Durant was tired and I don't care. Milwaukee is exactly where I thought Milwaukee would be before the year. Milwaukee is exactly where I told everybody that they would be before the playoffs. They would knock off the Nets. This would be, I had 76ers Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals. This is where Milwaukee needed to be. And I don't really care the path that you took to get there. I don't care. This is the path that they took to get here. And don't give me any of this nonsense. Well, you know, we didn't get to see the big three. Well, guess what? We didn't get to see the big three during the regular season. So it's not like, oh, Tim, that they played the whole year together and then all of a sudden injuries came. No, no, no. The big three didn't play together during the year. They had big two out there on the court. They had the big two. So that should have been enough to beat little old Giannis, who just can't hit a free throw, right? But no, Giannis is moving on. Milwaukee's moving on. This is good for the NBA. It was bad for the NBA, for the Nets and the Lakers to be any part of this in the long term. Short term, their ratings would have went up to him. In the long term, though, 
it's bad for the sport to say regular season doesn't matter. Absolutely agree, and, and it shows all the idiots on Twitter. Oh, these playoffs don't count because LeBron didn't play or was hurt and didn't play. AD didn't play, and uh, Brooklyn was hurt. No, it's what's good for the playoffs. It's what's what's good for basketball, like you said. Injuries happen. They happen all the time. But I'll tell you what, Tom. This is um, this is going to be very interesting. I think the rest of the way out, and I'm I'm excited for it. And tomorrow we get another game seven in the East. The Sixers are at home, Atlanta, trying to pull the upset here, Tom. But I, I think they got a little exposed in game six, and this line maybe accordingly said seven Sixers at home over the, the Hawks. That's a pretty massive line, huh? <laughs> I mean, For game seven, that, yeah. that is a large line, Tim. I, I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know, look, I like the Sixers. I like them before the series. I took them before the series. I had them going to this spot. I never imagined Atlanta would play this close, but okay. And you know what? I'm still on the Sixers. But Tim, man, this is a, an elevated line. I, I find it really hard in a game seven to go near anything. I kind of like to sit back and watch game sevens, right? And you're giving seven. I'm seeing seven and a half going all the way to Philly here. Philly's going to win, okay? I, I, I fully believe Philly wins. But I'm not going money line here. Maybe that's what it, that maybe that's why the inflated line is there, so you don't have an opportunity to go money line. I was going to say there has to is there the lines adjusted to prevent uh, a huge loss on some other on the other end of it, right, Tom? But what what makes so when we talk about teams that have really nothing to lose, and we'll get to that obviously with the hockey, but isn't the Hawks in that aren't the Hawks in that situation right now? Barely made the playoffs, right? Have a quote unquote interim head coach. Obviously, you have Trey Young there as your star, but again, what do they bring to the table? This, you know, by all means, they shouldn't even be this far into the playoffs. And in this series, most people, including myself, had it over in five. They're going seven now. They have nothing to lose tomorrow, Tom. It is, you know, it's it's uh all out tomorrow afternoon. Whereas the Sixers, I think, even though they look good in Game Six at the end, Tom, they still have that that pressure now that's building because they don't want to be the team to lose to Atlanta this, this late in the playoffs. No, not at all. And you know what? They can lose tomorrow. I think Philly's going to win. You think Philly's going to win. The sports books clearly think that Philly's going to win. The public, obviously, thinks Philly's going to win. Tim, they can lose. And here's how they can lose. One man, Trey Young. When we discussed Trey Young and what he did to the Knicks, we had a conversation and I said, you know, oftentimes when you're in the meaning of the and the the symbol of sports, and you're in the time of sports in an athlete's career, you don't realize it until afterwards. And I gave the example of remember Tom Brady against the Rams in his first Super Bowl. He was a game manager, right? We had no idea what he would turn into, but now you look back and you go, "Oh yeah, Brady won that Super Bowl." Well, of course he needs Tom Brady, right? And you watch these guys grow up, and I could give you a million other examples. I mean. How many other times? I always turn around and I talk about the 1995 New York Yankees. The 1995 New York Yankees lost to Seattle. They had to close the game out. They brought in Blackjack McDowell when a guy named Mariano Rivera was sitting in the bullpen and never used him. They let him sit in the bullpen. Why? Well, they didn't know he was Mariano Rivera, right? You don't know that a guy is going to be a guy until that moment. Well, this could be the Trey Young coming out party and the Trey Young show. He's been fantastic. There could be a very good situation here, Tim, where we turn around and we see Trey Young go crazy tomorrow, hit 40, knock Philly out, and in five years from now, Trey Young becomes Steph Curry Light, and we go, oh yeah, I beat Philly, scored 40. Yeah, that's not too surprising. That happens in sports, where when you're in the moment, you just don't realize who that guy is. And Trey Young might be that guy. That's why I give Atlanta a fighting shot tomorrow, because we don't know exactly how good he is. Look, he's been massively impressive. But how do we know that Trey Young isn't the next great player? Isn't the next great player that in five years from now, we're going to look back and say, of course he beat Philly. He's Trey Young. And isn't Game Seven the time where you see the next great players shine for the first time? He has a great opportunity tomorrow to do that. 
What about the role players, though? You look at in this series, Seth Curry with 24 in Game 6, right? Tobias Harris with 24. The Hawks on the other end. You have Kevin Herter from my University of Maryland. Tommy showing up in the playoffs, playing some big minutes. One of these guys is going to have to be that guy to go alongside with the Stars, right? Embiid, you figure Embiid's going to get his 20 and 15. You figure Young's going to get his 30 minimum, right? Who's going to be that guy that's going to step up? Because I think that's what we need to look for here. Yeah, it's easy to say Young and Embiid's going to dominate and steal the headlines, but you need those secondary guys. I just wonder who that guy could be. Yeah, you know, you need those secondary guys. And what's a sad thing, though, Tim, is that you a guy you did not mention who's been almost being laughed at at this point is Ben Simmons. Yeah. People are just mocking Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has it in him tomorrow to dominate the game, completely take over, and to change his entire narrative as well. The playoffs is a time to change the narrative about who you are. The playoffs are a time to shut up all the critics and shut people up. The playoffs, game seven, is a time to completely change your legacy. Ben Simmons right now is being mocked. He's the guy that they're saying, well, if this doesn't work out this year, and I've talked to Larry Hughes about this, right, former 76er, uh, about this. If it doesn't work this year, who's going to go? Is it going to be Embiid or Ben Ben Simmons? And to a man, anybody associated with Philly is going, eh, Ben Simmons, he's expendable. We can let him go, right? He's a defensive guy. We, we can let him go. He can't shoot. This is a way to change it all. He can change every idea about Ben Simmons. If he goes out there in a game seven and completely dominates the game and he has it in him, Tim, could I see a stat line tomorrow from Ben Simmons of 25, 17 and five? Yeah. And dominate the game. He can be that player. I don't think he is. I don't think he is that player. But, Tim, he could be it. Now, did you see Shaq called him out? Shaq mm-hmm. called him out on national TV. He said, you know, be tougher. He's getting called out in Philadelphia media. I listen to it. I, I hear it. He's the fall guy. People want better out of a, a player that was supposed to be an absolute superstar and wound, wound up, you know, look, what is Ben Simmons? He's a good player. And they want that superstar. But Ben Simmons is young enough. He's got the national TV audience on Father's Day where we're all going to be sitting down in front of the TV after hanging out all day, right? And he's got a Game 7 to push him to an Eastern Conference Final. Tim, if there's a time for a player to step up, Ben Simmons can change every conversation about himself tomorrow. Let me ask you about Ben Simmons, all right? This year, he averaged what, 14-7, 6 assists. Not bad, but like you said, not suitable for a number one overall pick a three-time all-star including this season right he's been a all defensive nba first teamer rookie of the year he's got great accolades for such a young player coming out of the draft do you think maybe it's just philly isn't the situation for him and that he becomes that superstar at another stop because it's he's just very inconsistent for like you said what he was supposed to be Tim, if Ben Simmons played 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he's a superstar. The game has changed. You know, Ben Simmons is a guy that, uh, you know, he's not shooting the three-pointer. He's got to play inside. He's got to play within the paint. And he's, he's more of a defensive player than anything else. Ben Simmons, and this is going to make people drive off the, the parkway, right? <laughs> ben Simmons is a light version of David Robinson. I mean, that's who he is. The problem is, is that his game has not evolved. If you started to look at his resume, Timmy's putting together a Hall of Fame resume, right? I mean, let's, you just read some of it off. Look at the numbers. Ben Simmons has that. And you said, is it not working in Philly? I asked that question uh, to Mike Moderno and Larry Hughes, who, who do a, a podcast here about the Sixers. I asked them that question twice this year. And basically, their answer was, well, they got to win this year. And Tim, all the process... The conversation about the process and the tanking and the, all that, all of it works if they win a championship this year. It all works. If it does not, if they don't hold up the trophy and they lose tomorrow or they lose at Milwaukee, heads are going to roll. And they might break up and beat in Simmons and go right to the conclusion that you had. You know what? Maybe it just doesn't work here. 
I'm already hearing people say, you know what? Let's give Ben Simmons and a couple of firsts for, for Dame Willard. And you go, oh, now, now you have a semblance of a real deal, right? Of a real situation. You think about Embiid and Lillard. Oh, wow. But guys, the process will work with a couple of more wins. I mean, how far do you have to go? Do they have to win the championship for the process to work? I think so, but I've had some pushback on that. No, they just have to get there. they got to win the East. For the process to work, they have to win the East. That's where you want them. Okay, well, you can't lose Game 7 at home against Atlanta. That much I know. So if we're deciding about will they have to win the next series or the series after that, how about we pump our brakes and just say, you cannot lose Game 7. If they win, there's a, a lot of thought in Philly that if they win the game tomorrow, Tim, the tanking, the process, the Simmons and Beat experiment has worked. It's worked. If they lose the game tomorrow, Simmons and Embiid will be broken up. General manager will be fired. Probably head coach will be fired. And you will see a completely different 76ers team. How ridiculous is that? That we're there. Not ridiculous in a bad way, just in a ridiculous mindset way. That tomorrow's one game, game seven, could determine the future of Philadelphia. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, when you look at Simmons, who just signed an extension, right, Tom? Guy's going to be making, in the next few years, $35 million. Ending at $40 million, and he's only going to be 28 at that point. The problem is, you can't pay a guy like that $35 million to score 14 points a game. It just doesn't make financial sense. No, and that's the thing. He just has not grown as a scorer. He's mm-hmm. grown as a player, and he'll continue to grow as a player. But he, he's not the scorer that we need. And again, if this was 12 years ago, Tim, we would have appreciated it a lot more. But there's a lot of guys out there that are putting up, you know, 14 points, 7, 8 rebounds, 7, 8 assists. Yeah. There, there, there's, uh, that, that's not a number two on a team. That's like a number three on a lot of teams. There, there are guys out there that can do that. He's not that clutch player. But I think he can be that. I still have faith in this whole experiment that is the Philadelphia 76ers, which is why I think they could win next year. Uh, I'm sorry, they could win tomorrow, and they could win next year. There's nobody in the East, Tim, and a lot of it has to do with that. Look, I have to be fair. When I rip apart LeBron James, I ripped him apart his whole career, it was because the East is pathetic, right? I mean, it was pathetic. LeBron comes to the West, he can't win. Don't give me last year, that's a fake championship, right? So he can't win. Why? Well, because LeBron is completely overrated. We know that. So I have to be consistent here. I'm looking at the East next year, and I'm going, who scares you? Who scares you in the East? Boston's taking a step back. They lost their head coach, right? The Knicks are dangerous, but they need somebody else. That's clear. They need that next-level guy. The Hawks are clearly dangerous, but I think that was a lot of Trey Young getting hot. They, They need something. Who scares you in the East? Well, Brooklyn scares you in the East if the big three can stay healthy. Milwaukee will be a challenge, and Philly. So if you ran it back with the same group, Tim, I'm looking at Philly and I'm going, you know what? I think they're as good as Brooklyn, considering that Brooklyn can't stay healthy. And and by the way, Brooklyn's going to lose a lot. And I think they're right on par with Milwaukee. It's hard not to call Philly the favorites next year. So this process thing and this let Ben Simmons grow up and let Ben Simmons evolve. Yeah, I think it can be considered a win, but they got to win tomorrow. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 Pacific. So dinner time all across America for Game 7 as the Sixers. Seven-point favorite over Atlanta in the Eastern Conference. Semifinal, the winner gets Milwaukee next week for the right to go to the NBA championship. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton with you when we come back. We'll look at the Western side of the NBA playoff bracket. And we'll also discuss the trade that just happened this week. I'd like to get Tom's thoughts on that since it does involve a team that we're fond of. We'll talk about that and more on the other side of the timeout. It's Heat Wave Sports here on a Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Be a part of the show, 876-1340, or text FOX to 69187 and your message. This is Heat Wave Sports on FOX Sports 1340. And we're back. 
Talking NBA playoffs here on Heat Wave Sports. If you want to join us, 876-1340 over on the Heat Wave hotline. At Tom Barton Sports, at HW Sports over on Twitter. And before we jump into the west side of the bracket, Tom, there was a trade that went down yesterday. Our team, the Boston Celtics, and uh, we're starting to see the Brad Stevens effect take place there in the the GM spot, Tommy. They trade Kemba Walker and a first-round pick to Oklahoma City. Coming back to Boston, former Celtic Al Horford, Moses Brown, and I believe it was a second-round pick. I think there was an exchange of second-round picks as well. But the 16th pick in the draft this year, Tommy, and Kemba Walker to Oklahoma City for Horford and Brown. Your thoughts on that initially? You know, I got to be honest with you. I, I like the move. And you know I was a big Kemba Walker guy when he came over here. I'm saying Kemba Walker made a lot of sense for Boston. Um, he couldn't stay healthy. He didn't fit the offense that they were running. I mean, in a bubble, Tim, I'm still a Walker guy. But clearly, they're an Al Horford guy. Look, Al Horford stayed on this team, came to this team and stayed and knew he wasn't going to be the number one option, fit in very well as a secondary kind of guy. People liked him in the organization. And now they go back and, and they get him. And what they really did is they saved like $11 million a year. That's a massive number to save. I actually expect Kemba Walker to be on the move. Um, New York makes a, a, a lot of sense. Portland's a possibility if they wind up losing Lillard. I think I don't think he stays there. But from the Boston side of this, I know that uh, you know Kemba Walker was just ripped apart by Boston media. People just did not like him. The fans did not like him. He was one of those guys that j- just didn't get a chance. That They just didn't like him there, flat out. But I understood why. I think a lot of it was more uh, things off the court that you couldn't handle, You know, meaning he was just not available. But you bring back a guy like an Al Horford, and it seems like a downgrade. It feels like a downgrade, but it's not because he fits the team better. And now the team also has $11 million to go and play with. I think that's a big, big, big reason where you start to to break down the trade one for one. Of course, the Celtics lost the trade, but you free up $11 million. Tim, let's see what they do with the $11 million, right? Let's see the next corresponding move. We talk about it all the time on this show. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves in Sports Talk Radio. I don't judge a trade by the trade on the surface because there are usually other dominoes to fall. You cannot judge this trade until we see the next corresponding move. If there is no corresponding move and the Celtics sit on the $11 million, they put it in their back pocket, and they trade Hawford uh, for Walker and the number one, well, Boston loses the deal, and it looks silly, and it looks uh, like, like, like a fleece job. But I fully expect them to go out there, use the $11 million on something else that they've already talked about to improve their team. I like Al Horford. I like Walker. I think Walker kind of got a raw deal, but I understand it. I like the move, Tim. Yeah, I, I agree again. We, look, we don't disagree a lot, but when it comes to the Celtics, I think we both being fans of them and fans, fans of Brad Stevens, right? And I'm going to I'm gonna throw an angle at you here, Tom. I, I'm Love for you to break it down for me, but just off the, the shade of the trade, I'm an Al Horford fan, absolutely. I enjoyed his, his uh, what, two-plus seasons, three seasons in Boston. I thought he's a, he's a good guy to have in, in, the, in the locker room as a veteran. And don't, don't sell Moses Brown short yet. You know, Brad Stevens has the ability to work with younger players. That's just that's who he is. Look at Tatum and Brown, perfect examples, right? This Moses Brown, nine points, nine boards a game, Tommy. I know you really look at it and you're like, that's eh, not too much. The kid's 7'2", he's growing into his frame, and he's 21 years of age. I love it. If, if Brad Stevens can turn him into a, a very suitable player for the Celtics, they're going to win this trade. And um, the angle I want to approach is we've seen the Brad Stevens experiment with quote-unquote superstars, right, Tom? Started with Irving. Then you had Hor- uh, Hayward who I know injuries played a big role there, but never was comfortable. It never seemed like it worked there. And now you have Kemba Walker, who I had, heard, I had heard that there were grumblings that Stevens and Walker were not on the same page at all this year. So is it safe to say that maybe Brad Stevens' approach to the future of the Boston Celtics is he's he's going to grow his own players and, and see what he's done 
look what he's done with with Brown and Tatum, right, Tommy? Maybe that's just a better approach for Boston. Maybe that's something that he wanted to do. He doesn't need to have said superstar come in. He's going to grow his own. Yeah, I, I I think Boston is saying, you know what? We do have a superstar, and his name is Jason Tatum. And we do have a number two, and his name is Brown. We now need to put guys around them um, to kind of build that team, as opposed to building one of these superstar teams. Look, we can build a team, and you can. Tatum has shown flashes of, of being an elite, elite player. I don't think he is. You know, to me, Tatum is more of a top 20 guy as opposed to a top 10 guy. But I think that Boston believes he can turn into that. Brown is a guy I feel very comfortable with him being a number two. So you have Tatum and Brown. You now need to build around them. Well, Walker was almost the same type of player as Tatum and Brown, wasn't he? Wasn't he kind of the same type of, of athlete, the same type of energy? Al Horford's not that. Al Horford's the quiet guy. He could be perfectly fine as a number three, but if you need him to be a number one in the night, or he could be a one. Or you want him to be a number two one night? No problem. You want me to just do the dirty work, grab those boards, get underneath the basket? I could do that too. He's a team player. And we often, especially in the NBA, where skill almost means nothing at this point, and it's just purely... Um, I mean, skill means almost everything at this point, and teammates don't mean anything. Uh, there is that camaraderie, camaraderie. There is that idea that, you know what, teams still matter, and, and the way that you play the game still matters, and I think that that's what they're trying to build there. I don't want to go out there and say that this is a miraculous deal because where you are you know, hyped up on uh, Brown, look, he's not worth a first-rounder. You know, So Boston is losing that. Even if they could develop him, he wouldn't be drafted in the first round. So Boston's losing that portion of the deal. Potentially, they could win it. But right now, they're losing it on paper. And Horford for Walker, they're losing on paper. It's the money, Tim. And it's yeah. the fit. The $11 million is could be absolutely massive. It could be massive if Boston uses it the right way. And essentially, right, Tom? In order to move that contract, they had to give up something else, which was the, the pick, right? And 16 in the NBA, look, you said it last week on the show, outside the lottery, you really rarely find that guy after the lottery picks. So I thought I, I had no problem with losing the first. You know, the, I'm excited to see what they're going to create here. And, and as far as, um, well, look. If, if all of a sudden you're going to tell me Damian Lillard's coming to Boston, I'm okay with that too, right, Tommy? Let's give another superstar a run here. But other than that, let him create his own team here. And I think that's the whole the whole avenue of Brad Stevens moving up to the front office was he's going to be able to build what he wants. Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and a number one for Dame. Where do you sign, right? Yeah, yeah. Do I don't think Portland takes it. You know, but but it's something I heard the Boston media kind of throw out there. Like Al Horford won't wear our jersey this year, and I'm going, well, you know what? Stranger stranger things have happened. I I don't think that that's the situation. Um, I know Boston is sold on Tatum. I think that they would almost have to give up Tatum in a situation like that uh, to kind of take that on. But it's not crazy, you know. The idea that Damian Lillard is going to get traded um, is so almost an obvious at this point. Everyone's just kind of figuring out where. Where is he going to go? And that's why I said, I don't know if Walker stays there. I really don't. I think that they may have just acquired a first-round pick, and now they go trade Walker to a team that loses out on Damian Lillard. You know, a team like the New York Knicks that need that next guy, why wouldn't Walker go there? And are the Knicks going to give up a first? Sure. So basically, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they could, they could really have traded Al Horford for two first-round picks. You know, that's, that's, or more, I mean, or more. And that is a situation where you start to look at it and you go, this is teams taking that next step. So on paper tonight, if we're grading the trade, Boston loses the trade, Tim. There's no doubt about it. But I just don't think that it's the end of the trading season for them. I don't think this is the end of the moves. And for OKC, Tommy, it's, look, great trade. Obviously, we think they're moving Walker, which is the right thing to do. And they already have three picks in this draft coming up. Potentially, Tom, they could end up with the fourth and fifth pick after the lottery on Tuesday night. It's a team that's rebuilding. You look at their roster, it's it's all young guys. 
And uh, this is the right thing to do for Oklahoma City. They, they needed to rebuild, and, and they have a perfect opportunity to do it now. I trade Walker tomorrow for a first-round pick and, and somebody that could play that's, you know, I mean, you know, you're not going to get a number one guy for him, but somebody that could be adequate and play. And like you said, you're just collecting picks. You, this is how you reset a franchise. I am always under the determination, and I've said this for football, I've said this for basketball, I, and I've said it even for baseball. I am always under the idea of blow it all up, man. If it's not working, don't be mediocre. Blow it all up. If I'm a football team and I'm sitting there and I'm going 8-8 eight and eight every year, forget about it. I'd rather go 1-15. and, and 15. Okay, well, now 1-16. But I'd rather go 1-15 than to just consistently be 500, be right there. No, let it, let's blow it all up, throw it all away, scrap it, and move on. Well, Tim, you know what? In the NBA, it's a lot easier to do that because all you got to do is get a little lucky in that draft. And OKC is setting themselves up to just make the odds in their favor, aren't they? They're just going, wait a minute. For us to get a number one pick, we, we could get two top five picks, two top ten picks. I mean, three top ten picks. I mean, they could get absolutely crazy here. And that's how you reset a franchise. Yeah. Look at what Jacksonville's doing. No, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm not telling you that Jacksonville has proven anything right now because they haven't. But they just got Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. Look at Miami Dolphins, what they, they've done. You know, they've gotten two, three first rounders. You can reset a franchise and OKC might be resetting this franchise. Time will tell. We'll definitely see that. The doubleheader tomorrow in basketball, Tom, actually starts 3.30 your time, 12.30 Pacific, Game 1, Western Conference Finals. The Clippers, who came back from a 25-point deficit last night to win that series, take on the Phoenix Suns, who have had had a nice long rest here, Tommy. They, you know, they took care of business early, and we get Game 1 tomorrow. Phoenix, a four-point favorite at home. Yeah, look, I have my doubts. I have my doubts about Phoenix overall, and I know I'm the only one, seemingly, that has my doubts about Phoenix. Look, they haven't played in 13 days, Tim. They, they haven't played a playoff game with Chris Paul out of the game. He's not going to be in there for ridiculous reasons, right? He's not going to be there. So without Chris Paul all this time off, sometimes it helps a team. I don't know if it's going to help a team here. You, you, I'm looking at the Clippers and I'm saying, I'm not sure if they turn the corner. Look, I haven't believed in the Clippers in two years. But I'm also not stupid enough to sit back and go, you know what? I, I don't see their talent. Of course, their talent is just overflowing. Their their production has always been kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Can they put it together? Is this the team? Well, but we all understand that they are the team when they're fully healthy, and they are the team when they fully care. With everything so close, is this the time that they do it? Is this the time that they click? And what about the Kawhi factor, Tim? I mean, what do you think about the Kawhi factor? Yeah, I, I think it's too long of a break for Phoenix. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. Sometimes you can have just the right amount of time off, right, Tom? I think this one's a little too long. And I think that even though they say, well, the Clippers are going through injury problems as well, and, and they just played last night, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think they're still fresh enough that they're going to come in this series with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Because, again, you just talked about it. Everybody loves Phoenix, right? So the Clippers are just basically fighting their way through each round with the motivation of is that nobody thinks that they can win, that the Lakers are the real team in L.A., right? It's not the Clippers. I like I like the Clippers tomorrow money line. Not not bet the, bet in the house on it, Tommy, but I think it's for me it's a good value play. To me, I think the Suns probably win the series, but I, I, I'm not laying four. There's no way I'm laying four. And you, you said, it. look, money line makes a lot of sense tomorrow. You're not getting a ton back, but it makes a lot of sense. It reminded me, uh, and we're going to get into this in an hour too, but it reminded me sort of of Milwaukee today and the Islanders, right? Both of the teams I did not pull the trigger on. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I did. But we talked about both. I said, yeah, you know what? I like Milwaukee plus the points. And I, I, I take them on money line because I think they're going to win the game outright. And I like the Islanders plus the money line at home in that spot. I didn't have the guts to pull the trigger on either one of those deals because it could have gone either way. And I feel the same thing about tomorrow. There's no way I was betting Tampa on the road tonight. 
There's no way I was betting the Brooklyn Nets in a position like they were tonight. And there's no way I'm betting the Phoenix Suns tomorrow. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm taking the Clippers. <laughs> it just means there's no way I'm betting the Suns. And if you gave me a free thousand bucks to go bet, man, I'll, I'll be taking the money line and I'll take a shot at the Clippers. So, you know, with the, you said it, with the injuries to Paul and Leonard both not playing tomorrow, right? Who, who you know, when you look at the depth wise for Phoenix, Booker's obviously taking on a, a more of a role. And, and the loss of the point there for Phoenix, which Paul's been, been excellent in the playoffs so far, Tom. But again, it's it's a situation where I think that uh, the Clippers are used are, are more used to playing without their guy there, whereas the Suns are, you know, I like Booker a lot, but Paul's been very helpful to him in these playoffs. Look, the Clippers just went through a series basically with Leonard Hurt half the time and the other half he didn't play. So I like I like the Clippers show tomorrow. I really do. Yeah, it makes sense, and it's, is this going to be Paul George uh, that is the guy again? And as much as I like Devin Booker, I've been wrong about him. I said about midseason, I said, this is Devin Booker's team. It's Devin Booker's team. He's the next superstar. Here we go. The playoffs came, and I was proving that, no, it's not. This is really Chris Paul's team. You know, it really was, and that's ripping the heart away. Now, we knew that Kawhi, this is Kawhi's team. We always know that. But you said it perfectly. For long stretches and a lot of time over the last two years, because of load management, because of who Kawhi is, it's Paul George's team. For better or for worse, a lot of this his teammates know it's actually Paul George's team. Look, when Kawhi's out here, he's going to be great. But this is Paul George's team. And Devin Booker, on the other hand, is going, you know, it's my first time in the spotlight. It's my first time where I have to put the team on my shoulders. I can see a, a shooting line of Devin Booker tomorrow where, you know, he's just hoisting up an Allen Iverson type of, of usage because he feels like he's got to do it all. And he's the type of player that he might score 35 tomorrow, you know, but he might take, you know, 50-plus shots. I mean, that's the kind of uh, player that he could turn into tomorrow. I hope not because I like Booker, and I want the Suns to, do, uh, to win the series. But I look at it and I go, he's a little young, and now because he, I realized how – much he really does rely upon Chris Paul and how this really was Chris Paul's team. I realize that that makes me worry. Yeah, Tommy, how's that load management working for Leonard and Davis and LeBron? It's worked out real well for him, hasn't it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you sit back and, and you know, more on LeBron opening up his mouth again. Is there a more ignorant human being in, in the public spotlight than this guy, LeBron? Every single time he opens up his mouth about just about anything. He's proven factually incorrect, like immediately afterwards. And he opened up his mouth. I told you guys that this was going to happen. I told you so, you know, Hey, LeBron, first of all, the NBA slapped you down in a matter of seconds and, and gave you factual data that the superstar and overall injuries are directly in line percentage-wise as 2018-2019. Okay, so what are you talking about? It's just a factually incorrect, moronic, idiotic statement that we're used to from LaFraud, right? And then he's going, you know, I told you so. You know, look, I've been um, a, a really adamant about no shutdown should have happened in the country, and, you know, I think masks are ridiculous, <laughs> you know, which I, I've been out there. But let's be honest. Look, nobody knew anything for a long time, right? I mean, people are trying to do their best thing. So, LeBron, you have to say, you knew? Oh, you, you knew better than everyone else. You knew. You knew that everyone was going to get hurt. You knew all of it. You knew more, more than doctors and trainers and athletes. I mean, come on, LeBron. Just idiotic stuff. So, you know, Tim, when we do talk about people being injured and people being hurt, the NBA put out the proof, guys, and they slapped LeBron down and made him look like the fool that he is. The injuries seem more important this year. The injuries seem more devastating this year. They are right in line with 2018 and 2019. What's sad about LeBron, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on him because he doesn't deserve it on our airwaves. But the only reason I brought it up is because you brought up the injury factor, you know right. what I mean, which it does right. seem huge, but it's not. No, you're right, and you had said something that, that spurred me, so I just want to kind of just put it out there because you know me, Tom. I, 
I try to stay as neutral as I can unless I truly feel like it's slanted one way or the other. And when you talk about LeBron James, even fans of LeBron James, fans that I know personally, fans of LeBron James, look, statistically, you want to look at it, he's one of the best players ever, right? Statistically. But even fans of LeBron James can't stand the guy anymore. His, his legacy is being interrupted by his idiotic statements. And, and I'm not even talking about politically. We can go that route, too. He just he looks terrible. But his inaccuracies when he talks about the game that he plays, you know, it's tarnishing his legacy. And that's what's going to be that's what's going to be left of him when he retires. People are going to know more about his, his uh, idiotic statements than they are about his game. That's sad. The LeBron legacy is him flopping, him being soft, yep. uh, him being you know inaccurate and in, in like you said, out, even outside of politics, just everything that he says is inaccurate. And what's a shame is that he has such a platform where he really could do uh, you know a lot of good, and he does do. Oh, by the way, a lot of good. It, it's almost like the last guy we had in the White House, where everybody turned around and said. You know he's doing amazing things. Just just stay off of Twitter. <laughs> Don't you know? Just stay off of Twitter. I, I feel like oh, it's almost the same thing with LeBron. LeBron, you're doing some good stuff out there. You're you're a good player, a really good player. You're a great player, right? I'm not gonna take it away from him, uh, but you are a moron, a complete and utter moron. Because even your own league is making you look like a fool seconds after you make ridiculous comments. I mean, it didn't take I I do. I think it was a, it was a couple of minutes later when the NBA itself put out just factual data to just say, "LeBron, what are you talking about? What are you talking about?" It it reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers, the the love he gets for the success he had early on and really you look at his his resume, Tommy, right? It took him what, 10 years to win a title. Which, okay, I understand. It's hard to win championships, but he went back-to-back. You mean and, when Kyrie won his title for him? Right. Okay. okay. I didn't want to go there, but okay. Yeah. They, the league gift-wrapped the Warriors championship to him. The, the Warriors should have won that series, right? They gift-wrapped that to him. And I don't even count last year. <laughs> Nobody counts last year. So he hasn't won a title in nine seasons. Kind of like Aaron Rodgers, right, Tommy? Still still in the publicity, but where, where are the, where's the, uh, the recent recent accolades they're they're not they're not there tim i do want to get into aaron Rodgers, whether it be tonight or tomorrow because i think all of our listeners owe me an apology i really do i'm sorry and rob my, my our good friend rob you know he, he's a, a green bay guy you guys all owe me an apology because going back 10 years tim 10 years on this show i've been telling you guys about aaron Rodgers, and now it's all coming to light isn't it yep absolutely I think that's a, that's a great segment for tomorrow night. The the truth about Aaron Rodgers. Let's give all the listeners plenty of time to write into the show, call into the show for the apology tour. Because obviously everybody always has something to say, right? So th- now that they've been proven wrong, I expect all of our listeners to apologize to me. Right? That's how it works, Tim? Yeah. Um, just like all the great Vegas Golden Knight fans who jumped on Twitter after the game. Oh, yeah, that's right. They, they didn't. We'll talk about that in hour two coming up here on Heatwave Sports. It's a Super Saturday night NHL talk next. We'll start with the Islanders and the Lightning. Big game today where the Islanders broke through on home ice again. We'll break that down for you. And yeah, there is a VGK segment. We got to get to it as well. It's Saturday night. It's Heatwave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. 